Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast. It's a new year on the Peter King Podcast. Welcome to 2020. Have a couple of really good guests for you this week. Rich Eisen of NFL Network. He'll be on to do a little playoff preview and to talk about that really, really good NFL Network series, uh, the NFL's Top 100, the all-time NFL team, which he did with an analyst of some note named Chris Collinsworth and a coach of some note, Bill Belichick. So we'll talk to Rich Eisen and also a special guest. Was really happy to get him, and my thanks to the Kansas City Chiefs for allowing him to come on. And that's Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator uh, of the Kansas City Chiefs. And I'm having him on because this is the week where all of the coaching rumors start. And it's not going to be a real heavy year this year. Uh, for coaching change, there might only be four more. As we record this, it appears strongly that Ron Rivera will be the new head coach in Washington. I think it's a really good call uh, by Washington and owner Daniel Snyder, who has not had very many good calls in the last 10 years. Uh, but that, in my mind, is a good call for him. But I want to get into the podcast this week talking about the coaching changes and one of the things that really bothers me in the first, say, 48 hours of the period where people are talking about coaching changes, and that is this. As of today, as of January, or <laughs> we're not on January 1 yet, as I record this in the afternoon of December 31, uh, as of now, Assuming that Washington does get Ron Rivera, there are only four minority coaches in the National Football League. Mike Tomlin in, uh, in Pittsburgh, Brian Flores in Miami, Anthony Lynn with the Los Angeles Chargers, Rivera, who is of uh, Mexican descent, um, is the fourth minority coach uh, in the NFL. And... Obviously, if you talk about four out of 32, that is a poor percentage. And what has bothered me in the first couple of days of everybody angling to go interview people for all of these jobs is that I'm not hearing much about Eric Bieniemy. I'm not hearing much about a guy who uh, has been a coach for 21 years, uh, an assistant coach for 21 years. Uh, and who, in my opinion, has done a lot to at least deserve a hearing um, among NFL teams. If you talk to Andy Reid, who's been coaching forever, he said he's one of the best leaders he's ever had on one of his staffs. And he also talks glowingly about his ability to, to be the bridge between him and the offense, just the same way that Matt Nagy was. And Matt Nagy coached for a very short time as an assistant in the NFL under Reed and then got a shot with the Chicago Bears. Look, I'm not saying that people should be lining up and, and, and offering jobs to Eric Bieniemy. I am saying that people should be interviewing Eric Bieniemy. He is a very, very good football coach. And the other guy I just can't believe is not getting a sniff of any sort, apparently. I've not heard his name once in the first two days of all of this. It's David Shaw, the head coach at Stanford. Now, again, I don't know if David Shaw would leave. He told me a couple of years ago that he's got the best job in the world, and, and I, he didn't know whether he would ever leave there. But Stanford's coming off a down year. Uh, it's hard to win there anyway. Uh, and I just simply can't believe that Shaw, who 
uh, like the enemy is African American, uh, is not getting a lot of attention in head coaching searches. I think he is one of the best coaches uh, in America right now. I absolutely unequivocally think he should be interviewed and teams should go after him. I remember a couple of years ago when the Los Angeles Rams were in the market for a coach post-Jeff Fisher. Uh, I can tell you this. They wanted David Shaw above anybody. And at the time, this was before they went hard after Sean McVay, and obviously Sean McVay has done a very good job with the Rams. But before they went after Sean McVay, they inquired about David Shaw, and uh, they just weren't able to get to first base with him because he didn't want to leave Palo Alto. Who knows whether he does now. But this is a time in the United States and in the NFL where there should not be four minority coaches in the National Football League. And now, let's get to the podcast. First, we're going to go to Rich Eisen, and then we'll finish the podcast this week with Eric Bieniemy. Happy to be joined on the podcast this week by Rich Eisen of NFL Network. Rich just finished an extraordinary six Friday nights of television where he unveiled the NFL's top 100 players of all time, along with NBC's Chris Collinsworth and an unknown but slightly promising analyst named Bill Belichick. So, Rich, what was that experience like? Uh, It was amazing, Peter. I mean, it really is stuff that anybody who's been part of it says that we're going to be telling kids or grandkids about um, and how amazing it was. And this the general feel of it um, and how... There was a buzz the minute you walked in, and there was a buzz in between takes. There was a buzz when we were done and leaving for the day as to just how special everything was. Uh, we, we recorded it on May 6th and 7th of uh, 2019 um, at NFL Films. And uh, we all gathered that, you know, flew in the Sunday. It was a Monday and a Tuesday. And the reason why those were the days were those were essentially the days where, where Belichick was free. Uh, post-draft, pre, you know, OTAs and, you know, pre-mini camps and all that stuff. And um, so it was uh, a six-episode series, and we shot four of them on the Monday and two of them on a Tuesday, and we were out by lunch. And um, the way that we shot it was out of order. Um, Then they they were aired on on NFL Network over a six-week period. For instance, the, the last episode that just aired, uh, on Friday, uh, the two-hour quarterback show was the first one we recorded. And the first segment we recorded for all six um, hours and two days was when Brady sat down with Belichick. And it literally took me two minutes to realize, you know, with the defending uh, Super Bowl quarterback and Super Bowl coach there as, in the role of in-studio guest and television analyst. Um, and it was really amazing and just that day, just that one episode, uh, I, I knew how special it was when Favre then joined and Staubach joined, and and you know, uh, Manning, uh, uh, you know, Brady telling a story about how he and Peyton Manning, when Manning was named to the all-time team, he told the story sitting next to Favre, talking about how, you know, he and Peyton are friends, and um, and he uh, spent some time with Peyton once, where they talked a ton of football and. And Peyton talked about a protection scheme that the Colts had that Brady realized, you know what, would be great if we put it in our system. And he said that he went to Bill O'Brien, or he called Billy O. He said he went to Billy O, Bill O'Brien, as soon as they were, he got back from his trip with Manning and said, you know, we got to put this protection in. And, and uh, said 50% of the passes that Gronk caught were basically off of this protection that he, he first kind of gathered from Peyton Manning. Uh, and I sat there, I'm like, man, when this story hits that, you know, people are going to hear how Peyton Manning told something to Brady, or Brady picked Peyton Manning's brain, and then basically used it to beat the brains in of half the of the rest of the league, and and help Gronk make to the Hall of Fame. That's that's going to be something. And then later on in the day, just hearing how Belichick was telling stories about knowing uh, Roger Staubach because his dad was a coach uh, back in the day uh, with Navy, and talking about how uh, Johnny Unitas that he was at Johnny Unitas's football camp and. Instead of catching passes from Johnny, he actually snapped the ball to Johnny Unitas because he was a center on his youth team. And 
which later on that night I shared a moment with Chris Collinsworth. We we agreed that was the most Belichick thing that we had heard him say <laughs> during the first day of the shoot. I mean, I can go on and on, but then again, just the fact that when it does hit air, um, that NFL Films had six months to sprinkle their sable fairy dust on this and, you know, find, if you will, the plays that Gronk beat up the Colts with using the same protection scheme or getting the photograph of young Belichick snapping the ball to Johnny Unitas. And all of that just makes for a very special show I'm so honored to be the host of. I bet Belichick coaches another five years. Rich, leaving New Jersey in May, what did you think about Belichick's future? Oh, God. Uh, the thing that I thought about was how in the world can anybody beat him? Um, and, and by that, I mean sitting there, he told his story twice in two different episodes, one in the quarterback's episode and then, and then one, um, uh, I forget the first time he told the story. I think it was in the episode with um, the linebackers where uh, Montana and the uh, 49ers taking on his Giants team. And, um, you know, there's no timeouts left. Montana has the ball deep in his own end, fumbles the snap of the two-minute drill and uh, with hardly any time left on the clock. And ball gets loose. They recover it. But his defense is scrambling to get back to their usual spots because they were not used to you know, having, having the ball fumbled and then recovered and then a, a quarterback as good as Montana recover it and get his troops ready with Jerry Rice on the end. And even though he's told his defense, we are not letting Jerry Rice beat us, of course, Rice got open and then ran it 80 yards for the touchdown. And he has since used the footage of that, as he told in the linebacker show, he's used the footage of that to show to his team hey, in a two-minute drill, you need to be situationally smart and be ready for the quarterback to fumble the snap and not let that get you out of your game. Do your job, essentially, is what he's telling these guys. And then when he told that story, um, you know, uh, when Joe Montana's name came up in the quarterback show, you even hear Brady say, I've seen the footage of that over and over again. Again, so you've got a guy with uh, a vast, vast, uh, uh, encyclopedia of experience that who else has like, Hey, you know, I remember when I was coordinating for Bill Parcells and Montana was quarterbacking and we wouldn't let Jerry Rice beat us that this happened in a situational moment in a two minute drill. And I'm using that as an example to make my current team better. I mean, literally there are great coaches in the NFL, but who has that in their repertoire? <laughs> and uh, that's what I left with as well as, as you point out, I mean, his love for the game and his passion for football is something that just won't be doused by, I think, um, maybe the, the rigors of, of, of aging. Um, and I, I, I agree with you. Uh, guy loves coaching. He loves football, loves, loves the camaraderie. I think of it, despite, you know, his, his, uh, public persona. Uh, and, and it was just an absolute treat to be around him for a day and a half like that. You know, Chris Sims has always said, and he was on his staff uh, a few years ago in new England that Belichick, uh, one of the things that makes him so good is how even keel he is. You know, he's the same on May 11 as he is on January 11. Yeah, and that's what makes, again, the NFL 100 show that, that, that much special because he, he is different from what you normally see. And um, just, you know, seeing him in the role of television analyst is bizarre enough, but in the role of uh, affable, energetic, passionate television analyst is something totally different. Um, the number of tweets I would get, you know, when I would tell these stories on my show daily or tweet them out of people saying, don't make me like Belichick. Uh, I've lost track, you know? And so <laughs> the stories that he would tell, like the story he told about Jack Lambert, um, at, when he made the team, he told a story about how, uh, how Lambert got uh, his start in college because the guy in front of him on the depth chart was a bouncer and a and a, um, a security guard for the Rolling Stones and went on tour with them. Um, the moment uh, Joe Green came out and um, Belichick asked the first question, and I remember he goes, "I got to ask you something, Joe." And I'm sitting there thinking, as the host, I'm like, "Okay, Bill just jumped the line, which is great. <laughs> That's fine. Let him do it." And he goes, "I got to ask you something." And I thought to myself, "Okay, it's got to be Chuck Knoll related, right? Or Steel Curtain defense related?" or immaculate reception even, and he asked him about his Coke commercial. 
And I'm like, oh, my God, like that is amazing because that's a pop culture question that Bill Belichick just jumped in to ask Joe Green. And I loved it, um, you know, and just watching him, uh, the, the the players, I, I think, in order of of him just having a blast with and because he respected them so much and loves talking football with them. Uh, I think in order, number one was Randy Moss. And, and, and that's saying a lot because LT was on the show too. Uh, he loved Randy Moss. I mean, he gushed about Randy Moss, gushed uh, about him. And, of course, then there's Lawrence Taylor. And then after that was Ed Reed. I mean, we couldn't break up the conversation with him and Ed Reed after one of the tapings. Uh, and, and as you know through the show, we handled the old school guys with just the grainy black and white NFL films footage through a, um, like a coach's clicker segment with him where he would just take the take the the film and you know zip it back and forth with a clicker in his hand and and he would talk about the old school players but uh for the cornerback show he asked Ed Reed to stay one extra segment and have him break down Ed's footage um because he loved Ed that much and Ed's like yeah of course I'll do it uh I I'm I'm telling you it was amazing to watch and just see up close and personal and Collinsworth too I need to say is a Rolls Royce and and the thing that's so great about him is not only has he called so many of these guys' games and is so amazingly conversant, just the way he talks is so, um, so one would say folksy um, and, and just also just uh, passionate and just funny. But on top of all of that, he, you know, when Dion said at one point about Mel Blunt, now that's a grown man across the way from me, and I would look at him and say, you're safety or you're a corner? Like you're that big? And Collinsworth says, tell me about it. I had a lineup across from him. And then I'm like, okay, that's right. He was in the AFC Central with Mel Blunt. And then he would talk about when Paul Brown's name came out. Well, well, I was in the cold tub in Cincinnati and Paul Brown came. I'm like, that's right. Paul Brown signed his players' checks. I mean, he's got a vast history of playing and talking about the game that made him a perfect co-analyst with Belichick for that show. And it was just my job to sit back, let people talk, and be a fly on the wall for you. So I said we'd discuss the playoffs, and in our time left, let's do that. Seems to me it's a really strange playoff season. The best team in the NFC just might be the three-seed New Orleans. And in the AFC, I don't know, to me, the five and six seeds, Buffalo and Tennessee, they're significant threats, especially on Wild Card Weekend. So who do you like this month? I'll tell you what, you know, you, you, you've obviously, I chose the Saints before the beginning of the year to win the Super Bowl, so I, I agree with you. And, of course, uh, Mike Thomas, Breeze, that defense, and, and Sean Payton are as sharp as anybody that's entered a postseason. And this Saint, these Saints are entering the postseason far sharper and deeper and better than the championship team that went to Miami 10 years ago. There's no doubt about that. Um, they're better. They're deeper. They're, they're more uh, dangerous in every phase of the game than they were 10 years ago heading to Miami. That's, that's one, number one. But number two, I'll tell you, you know, I know you talk about Baltimore and, and Kansas City being sharp, and they definitely are, but I, I would be genuinely concerned about the, the wild card road teams, man. Uh, mm-hmm. I... Uh, I love the way the Titans have come in, and I know that the Titans uh, had a disappointing loss a couple weeks ago to the Texans. But the way that they play, and of all people that could come in and one and done what many people believe to be the final iteration of the Brady-Belichick Patriots, Mike Vrabel, you want to talk about can't make this stuff up. Vrabel coming to town with um, Derrick Henry and – and, and and Ryan Tannehill playing as well as he is in that defense, I would be genuinely concerned if I'm a Patriot fan right now. And then the quintessential team that you just don't want to face. You don't want to face a team that's young and doesn't know what they don't know um, and has a defense that, that has just been shutting everybody down. Uh, everybody. Uh, I can't recall a team that lit up the Buffalo Bills this year. And, and uh, it's very difficult to win a game of your first career playoff game, certainly if you're in your second year. But I, I am not I – mean, Houston better be ready. Uh, I would be genuinely concerned if I'm a Texans fan, too. I like the five and six seeds in the AFC, Peter. Uh, I like them a lot. 
And um, and I'm not just doing that just to talk up games that you might think need talking up. I I I like them, and um, I'd be genuinely concerned. And also, uh, you know, Frank Gore in the playoffs. Um, the last top five running back. I'll give you this nugget that I I, I pulled for my um, epic show, The Grind, as well as for um, uh, NFL Network. The last top five ranked all-time running back to play in the playoffs was Jerome Bettis. Um, that's how long it's been when an active top five all-time running back played in the playoffs. And we're going to see it with Frank Gore. And I'm I'm very curious to see what a guy in Frank Gore, who scored, by the way, 100 yards and a touchdown when he was with the Niners against the Ravens uh, in that Super Bowl. I'm I'm curious to see how he can do. Yeah, I I wrote my column this week. I think it's become clear that though this might not be the end of the great Patriots run, it's certainly the end of something in New England. We just won't know what that is for a while till we see if Josh McDaniels or Tom Brady or both leave the organization. So, Rich, you got to put $5 down in Vegas today on Tom Brady's team opening day 2020. What do you got? Oh, man. You kind of made reference to it when I, you were on the show today for me on my, on my show, Peter. Maybe the Los Angeles Chargers. I mean, if Tom really wants to, you know, pull a Johnny Unitas, you know, um, and, and he wants to wear a different uniform and put on a lightning bolt, uh, man, I really think, personally, I think Anthony Lynn um, is, is the right coach for here. Uh, I don't know if Anthony Lynn really wants to go down the Phillip Rivers road. I don't know if he wants to even get even older at the quarterback spot. Um, but, uh, you know, if I am coming to Los Angeles where the Lakers and the Clippers might be fresh off playing each other in the Western Conference Finals, where the, the Rams just made the, the, the Super Bowl uh, two years before and the, the Dodgers have made the World Series in many years in a row and the Angels, you know, just picked up Rendon and, and have Otani and Trout. Oh man, uh, you are you are you are definitely behind the eight ball, and just basically say, hey everybody, we've got a new stadium where the Los Angeles Chargers come see Tom Brady play. Certainly against the Patriots, who by the way are are out here uh, next year. I do believe playing the Chargers and the Rams. Correct. Um, so that's what I would definitely do if I am def- going to move on from from Philip Rivers. That would be a great way to basically say, look. Uh, Rams and Stan Kroenke and Jerry Jones. You know, I know that you own the stadium, and Jerry, you've paid for the. You know, you own the company that's paying for the PSLs and the and the um, and the naming rights and all that stuff. And you got your Cowboys, you got your Rams, but we've got Tom Brady. Uh, we're the Los Angeles Chargers. That would be very difficult for me to pass up. And if Brady is interested, I would uh, make that happen. Then, how about Tom Brady and Josh McDaniels in Carolina? I, I don't know. It'd be tough to basically turn down the Browns, uh, and it would be tough for me to turn down, you know, the Giants. If the Giants are basically coming, and you've come from the Belichick tree, and you can go where Belichick once belonged, that would be a tough turn down for me to go to Carolina. But it's possible, and I have no idea if Brady, did Brady and McDaniel's get along so famously that they he'd want to be attached to McDaniel's hip. I, I honestly don't know the answer to these questions. So, um, but if you want to move to Southern California and bring your kids to Southern California and set up shop here, you know, in your home state uh, for your post-playing career, what better way to do it than just, you know, get your home, put your kids in school and play for the Chargers. Uh, I mean, that, that would sound inviting to me if, if he doesn't want to stay put in New England. Rich, as we said on your show this week, we could do this for an hour. We could probably do it for three hours. But then again, we'd both be hoarse by then. Anyway, thanks so much for joining me this week. It's going to be a fun January in the NFL. Take care, PK. Take care, bud. And now my conversation with Kansas City Offensive Coordinator, Eric Bieniemy. Back on the Peter King Podcast, so happy to be joined by Eric Bieniemy, the Offensive Coordinator of the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, the Chiefs obviously are going to the postseason for the second consecutive year. 
And uh, much of that, after talking to Andy Reid several times, much of that due to the uh, the brain power of Eric Bieniemy, and we're very glad to have him on the podcast. Eric, thank you. Well, thank you, Peter. How are you doing today? Everything is going great. Thank you. Good. Good. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your background before we get to coaching. And that okay. is, you know, what really interests me about your story is that you're born in New Orleans. I think you uh, grew up for a while in the in the Lower Ninth Ward, and then yeah. you ended up, uh, you know, I think going to high school in Los Angeles and going yeah. to college out of Los Angeles. What was your What was your youth like, and what do you remember about New Orleans? Uh, so, uh, originally born in New Orleans, uh, lived there up until I was ten years old. My uh, parents got divorced at a young age. Uh, you know, New Orleans was home. That's where all the Bienemies are located. So you go anywhere around town, you mention the name Bienemy, I'm sure you'll be able to find someone that's, uh, <laughs> that's related to me. But, uh, I mean, it was, it was a different experience. It was, you know, during that day and age, everything was a certain way. It was in the seventies, you know, it was black, white, it was predominantly, uh, you know, um, not the, the the best environment, but one thing it was full of, it was full of love. And I was blessed and fortunate to have that opportunity to live there for the 10 years that I did. And then uh, my parents got divorced at a young age and my mom got remarried. We picked up the move to uh, to Southern California and it's been a blessing ever since. Um. I, I I want to sort of fast forward to your NFL career. You played nine years with mm -hmm. the Chargers, the Bengals, and the Eagles. But I would say what you might be most noted for is your Chris Berman nickname. Because one <laughs> night I'm watching the highlights, and here comes Eric Berman. You made a great run in a game, and Eric Berman said, and here comes Eric sleeping with the enemy. Now, you've got to tell me, what did you think of that when you first heard it? And did you get a lot of ribbing from your teammates when they heard it? <laughs> well, I can tell you what, my wife didn't think too highly of it. Uh, she kind of put it <laughs> on me and said, hey, you know what? Uh, I don't know if I like everybody <laughs> usually using that same name as Chris Berman does. Uh, but yes, I, you know, I was blessed and fortunate to be drafted out of the University, University of Colorado. Blessed and fortunate to play nine years. Uh, played with a, uh, a lot of great uh, players, a lot of great role models, a lot of great mentors. Blessed and fortunate to play four years in San Diego with the junior sales of the world, the Stan Humphreys. And our fourth year, we went to uh, the Super Bowl. From that point on, was blessed and fortunate to, uh, to play four years with the Cincinnati Bengals. And then, lo and behold, my ninth year, uh, ended up playing with the Philadelphia Eagles. Coach Andy Reid's uh, <laughs> first year as a head coach. And, uh, you know, the, the, like I said, from that point on, everything has just been a blessing. I cannot complain. What was it about playing for Andy Reid that you think connected you with him to this day? Uh, the details. You know, one thing about Coach Reid, he's always been a person that focuses on the details. I remember going through those installs uh, as a player and just how detailed and how thorough he was uh, uh, when up there presenting the information to the to the to the team, and those were the things that stood out because it held you, it made, it forced you to be accountable, and it forced you to gain a greater appreciation of the entire concept and what we were doing. So now everybody knew what we're doing. Now we can go out there and execute. So it was it was always about detail, and then also too just making sure that we're working hard, you know. Playing hard and playing fast—that's that's that's what it was all about. And then from that point on, he he got his start and had a great career there. So, how what led to you guys connecting again uh, in 2013, when obviously he went to Kansas City and then you went to Kansas City as well? Well, let me give you a little backstory. So, after retiring, after playing that season in '99, my last season in uh, in the league, okay, after playing that season, 
I had actually went through a program with Coach Reed that he had actually set up prior to the league setting up this program. It got us started. It got me back in school. I got enrolled in school, and I started working on my degree. And I had a mentor that Coach Reed had ended up hooking me up with, and he held me accountable. I ended up completing my degree, and I got into coaching. And so once I got into coaching, you know, Coach Reed and the staff uh, reached out to me and said, hey, if you – if you're interested, uh, you know, we have a the, the Bill Walsh Minority Internship Program. And if you ever have an opportunity to come on up, we'd love for you to come on up. So I was blessed and fortunate to uh, to go up to Philly, the 04 and the 05, uh, uh, 2004 and 2005 for the internship, and and had an opportunity to, to, to work with Coach Brad Childers again, to work under Coach Reed, and uh, had a tremendous experience Learned a lot, a lot of stuff I, I, I took with me back to UCLA at the time when, when I was coaching. And so we've always stayed in contact. And through that experience and obviously playing for Coach Childress uh, when I was there as a player, uh, he hires me as a running back coach, and we go to Minnesota together. And so the rest has been history. Like I said, uh, I've been blessed and fortunate to, to – to have an opportunity to not only work with good people, but some great men who happen to be great coaches. So now let's fast forward to the Chiefs' experience. You're there as running backs coach uh, until 2017, and then Matt Nagy gets the job uh, as the head coach in Chicago. You get promoted, and you get promoted at the same time that Patrick Mahomes obviously becomes the starting quarterback. This, this may be sort of a, uh, a lofty question, a difficult question to answer, but what are your early memories, uh, maybe in 2018, when you get this job of working one-on-one with Patrick Mahomes? You know what, and I always bring this up. First and foremost, he's a, he's a beautiful kid. And I know he's a tremendous athlete. He's a tremendous player that has done a lot since he's been in this league. But he's a beautiful person, and he's fun to work with. He's a professional. He's one of those guys that comes early and stays late. And then just having an opportunity to sit in the classroom with him and watch film and just noticing how he sees the game. And then having an opportunity to go out in the field and watch him an individual and also talking to him during practice and how he sees things. He has an unbelievable uh, vision. And those are the things that stood out to me early. And lo and behold, those are still some of the things I'm still amazed with that uh, that he just shows up with on a day-to-day basis. Those are the things that makes Pat special. And, and Pat understands because he learned this from his father. Consistency is the key to success. And one thing he does have, he has consistent work ethics. Those are the things that makes him special. And those are the things that stand out to me. You know, the story that Andy Reid told me that I ended up asking Patrick about that I thought was really telling about the kind of person he is. Here he is last year, middle of the season. I guess he's 23 years old. And the whole Kareem Hunt story happens. And your team is kind of, at least from the outside, in turmoil. And you're going to have to handle basically getting rid of one of the best running backs in football right in the middle of the season. You guys are about ready to go out and play the Oakland Raiders. And on Saturday morning, Patrick Mahomes asked Andy Reid if he can go in and talk to the team alone, just him and the team. And I looked this up later, Eric, and Patrick Mahomes is older than four players in the room that he's talking to at that moment. You know, there's like 50 players who are older than him in the room, including some significantly older. And Patrick Mahomes just comes in and he says, and and look, I wasn't there, but he says something to the effect of we cannot let this ruin our season. We love Kareem. There's nothing we can do about it. We are not going to let this derail us. And a couple of players, when I asked them about it, said it was a, it was a huge moment for Patrick and a huge moment for your team to basically uh, solidify your team at a time when things were a little bit shaky. Does that sound like the Patrick Mahomes you know? That sounds exactly like Pat. I mean, that's just the type of kid that he is. You know, that just goes to show you how the kid was raised. 
comes from a beautiful family. I mean, he had an opportunity to watch his dad go through it as a major league player. And Pat just has those natural leadership abilities that has a way to 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 infect everybody in a positive way. And so one thing you always want to do, you want to you always want to encourage those guys to speak up. He's not afraid of being vulnerable at all. He's not afraid of putting himself out there in front of everyone. And those are the guys that you want in the locker room. Those are the guys you want to rally behind. And that's the that's all the little stuff that makes Pat the special person that he is. It must be fun to coach a guy who's so good but who wants it so bad? <laughs> you know what? Every now and then you got to get him to calm down because sometimes he could be his worst enemy <laughs> because he's so competitive and he wants everything to be perfect. And, and trust me, I understand that because we're, we're kind of wrapped the same way. And, you know, you have that perfectionist attitude about you, but understanding that everything is not going to happen. It's a part of the process. He has to make sure that he, he remains calm and poised under pressure. And everybody's going to react to how he responds to certain situations. So I always got to remind him every now and then, hey, Pat, you know what? Hey, man, listen, pick your head up, relax, focus on the next play. That's all what matters. You know, uh, when I asked Andy Reid about you and, uh, you know, I, 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 I just said, you know, I don't really know Eric at all. And I'm curious, when you talk about him as a coach, what are the kind of significant things? And the first thing he said was, I've never seen any coach who I've ever worked with before who memorizes the play sheet every week. I said, what do you mean he memorizes the play sheet every week? He said he quite literally, there's, we got 200 plays some weeks and maybe even more than that. And he memorized it. He memorized the formation, uh, you know, the play itself. And so I, I just got to ask you, how do you do that and why do you do that? You know what? It takes a lot of time. <laughs> it takes a lot of time. But at the end of the day, I just want to make sure that I'm being accountable, not only to the players, but also to to our coaching staff and being accountable to the entire organization. My job is to have the ability to spit those plays out and, and, and know everything inside and out. So I'm studying it because I'm always talking to our players about the importance of taking work home. And so I want them to understand that, hey, you know what, if we're going to take all this time doing all these little things to help us to be great on Sunday, you know what, as a coach, as coaches, we all need to invest the same. And so it's my responsibility, you know, as a coach to make sure that I have a complete understanding of everything that's on that call sheet. That's my job. That's my role. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I'm here for. Have you, did you ever take any sort of memory enhancement class? Do you, I mean, what, how, how, ex, and how exactly do you do it? Uh, you, you know what? I don't want to give all the details away, but I will say this. We have a number of formations. And so once you start doing, you start grouping plays by formations and personnel groups. And so then it has a tendency to start running together. Now you may miss a few here and there, but once you hear a portion of the play, the recall just jumps right back up on you. And so is this something that you will sit down in the evenings at some points and just make sure you've got every one? Or uh, it, have you done it for so long that it just comes naturally to you? Uh, it, it's an every evening deal. And so, it, you know, portions of the week, it made the call sheet is small and then it builds over the course of the week. And so... Wednesday, I sit and study, you know, uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, even Sunday, you know, going into the game. And so you just want to make sure that you're always on top of everything. Um, can you give me an example, Eric, of during a game? Obviously, Andy is calling the plays, but during the game, sometimes when I watch your games, it's you sitting with Patrick, you talking to Patrick, you and Andy sometimes sitting and talking to Patrick. Take me into those conversations and what is it that you guys are trying to do when you have Patrick's ear during games? 
You know what? One thing we're always trying to do is just recall exactly what took place throughout the course of each series. Okay, on this particular play, hey, they may have played uh, a single safety middle zone. This particular look, they may have given us a shell look where they're playing cover two. Uh, you know, what did you see? What did you think protection-wise? We're just talking through all that and just trying to establish a rhythm of what defenses are doing. And then we just basically start formatting and, and, and talking if there's any adjustments that potentially need to be made. And I, I enjoy the conversation. And, and one thing with that in mind, yes, uh, you know, uh, Coach Reed calls the plays. He actually uh, – calls a player to me, and I have to relay it to Pat. So me and Pat are in constant communication throughout the entire game. And so when he's coming to the sidelines, I know sometimes he gets tired of hearing me talk, and I know sometimes I'm tired of talking to him myself. But there's a, we always talk through this. Communication is the key to any successful relationship. So it's important that we're always on the same page. I, I want to ask you about one play specifically, and it's not the no-look play. But it's the play last year from that same game against the Baltimore Ravens where he's getting chased by Zadarius Smith and he's getting chased to the right sideline. And so all of a sudden, way deep across his body, he throws. I, I look downfield on the replay and there are four Ravens within, I don't know, a few yards of the play. And somehow, someway, the ball is right on Tyreek Hill uh, it's fourth down. If you don't make this play, you probably lose the game. But I ask you about that question because mm -hmm. sometimes I know that you have a great play design and you love the play that's called, but the quarterback just has to make a play when the play breaks down. What did that play say about both the play call that you and Andy had on and what ended up happening on the play? Well, first of all, I'll tell you like this, and any coach will tell you this, Peter. Every play that we design is designed to go for a touchdown. So if any coach telling you anything different, he's full of it. So we did, we designed that play just like we wanted it to be, to be very successful. <laughs> but unfortunately, things happen. And the only thing that you want your players to do is to continue playing. And we want our guys to continue playing through the echo of the whistle. And one thing that we harp on is developing chemistry throughout the course of the offseason, which is huge. And so it's amazing how things happen throughout the course of the season that ended up happening throughout uh, uh, the process of some form of uh, our OTAs in a scramble drill. You got guys staying alive and guys knowing exactly where to be, you know, uh, when the quarterback is scrambling to a certain direction. And so it's amazing the chemistry that have been built together. And one thing we take a tremendous amount of pride of in here is that our guys like each other. And so the chemistry is is so unique that these guys have worked together now for a number of years. They know exactly what to do. They go out and work hard together. And so they're there for each other and they're accountable to one another when at the most needed times. And so I'm not surprised that that play happened the way it did. And I'm not saying that to sound arrogant. I'm saying that because I've seen our guys do it over and over and over again throughout the course of practice. As amazing as the no-look pass was, as amazing as the left-handed throw was in Denver, uh, the most amazing play of his career, and I mean, he might not have a more amazing play in 15 years. That's the most amazing play because he threw the ball 48 yards downfield on a rope in the middle of three or four guys, and he did it with Zadarius Smith within two steps of flinging him into the first row of the seats. I just, whenever I think of Patrick Mahomes and how good he is, that's really the play that I think of. You know what, there's, there's been a number of plays, and the unique aspect about it, we have an opportunity to see things that happen throughout the course of every day in practice, and it's pretty unbelievable. So we're kind of, I shouldn't say we get used to it, because on game day you're still in awe. 
but we've seen it as something that has been rehearsed. And one thing, like I said, these guys take a tremendous amount of pride in working, and also they take a tremendous amount of pride in finishing. And so, like I said, it's not by chance that those particular plays happen on game day. It's because they've rehearsed it over and over and over again because something broke down throughout the course of practice. I want to ask you one more thing about your season this year, and then I'm going to ask you something about you. Okay. Um, the thing that cur- that I'm so curious about with your team is that you have many weeks where, you know, Travis Kelsey can have a great game or Tyreek Hill can have a great game. And yet there have been weeks when people who are not household names in their own households, uh, basically make the biggest plays for you. You know, Damian Williams and, you know, and, and really lesser guys. You know, I thought Conley was a really good uh, player for you guys. And, and, and so I just wonder, when you, when you format your offense, when you're thinking of plays, when you are sitting in there Monday and Tuesday doing your game plan, do you have a conscious, make a conscious decision to make sure that you try to sort of spread the wealth and make sure you get the maximum number of players involved? You know what? That's always a goal each and every week. I mean, we always want to make sure we're keeping our guys involved. And we want all of our guys to make sure they understand the importance of executing with great attention to details. And, yes, so we pride ourselves on making sure that our guys are accountable to one another because when it's all said and done with, okay, it's not about the numbers, okay? The only thing that matters is whether you win or you lose, okay? And we love that alphabet that we call a W. So we always tell our guys, and we take a tremendous amount of pride in this, hey, let's make sure that we're being accountable to one another. How are we going to be accountable? It's going to be through our consistent and disciplined work ethics. It's going to be because we took work home and we studied. And each and every week, we may design a play to go to a particular player based on a coverage. But, hey, you know what? That coverage may break down. Now it's uh, the other receiver or whoever's built into that route concept. It's his job to make sure that he's staying alive and understanding that, hey, if it breaks down here, that ball very well can come to me. So it's all about playing playing hard and playing fast and being disciplined through that execution. But like I said, being accountable and finishing. And we have good people in the building. And I think that's just a a, a, a testament to who Coach Reed is. You know, Coach, uh, basically our GM, uh, Brett Veach and his staff. You know, not only do we have good football players, okay, but we got good people. These guys like one another and they work hard and they play for each other. Those are the things that stand out. You know what you don't hear out of the Kansas City Chiefs? You don't hear, I remember there was a week, I don't know, maybe week 10 or whatever, you guys played the Chargers and Tyreek Hill had zero catches. Okay? The previous week he had 10 or 11. I mean, he had a huge week. (laughs) And and I was just thinking to myself – I'm just going to watch the Chiefs after this game. I'm going to see what happens. Mm-hmm. Not a, and now, look, I don't know what happened behind the scenes. Not a word out of Tyreek Hill. You know, if, 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 if Sammy Watkins gets a light load one week, you don't, you don't hear stuff from Sammy Hill or Travis Kelsey. And so that is one of the things that I admire. You guys have a lot of big names and big stars on your team but if they have a very light week, you don't hear grumbling from them, at least publicly. Uh, that's that's not what we're about here. I think that, that all goes back to the culture that's been established here because we understand the, the sum is greater than the parts. So we just want to make sure that everybody is on board. Because when it's all said and done with, hey, we can do this together or individually we can fall apart. So we just want to make sure that we're always on the same page. We're building this the right way. And like I said, and I'm going to keep saying this, Peter, and that we're accountable to one another. Because if we're accountable to one another, the sky is the limit. Eric, let's talk about you personally. Um, I know it's obviously a great interest of yours. Do you believe that you're ready to be an NFL head coach? You know what? I've been 
dreaming about that opportunity uh, all my life. You know, I feel that I'm ready, but right now, I'm going to say this, Peter, it's a blessing to be placed in that conversation. Yes, I do know that I am ready to be a head coach, but at this particular time, we're one play, one day at a time type operation. Like I said, it's a blessing to be mentioned in that light. That'll take care of itself when the time is right. Other than that, we still have goals to accomplish. We still have things that we need to establish as an offense and as a team, okay? And so that, those are the things that I'm focused on right now. I'm going to end with this and ask you one last question about your future, and that is last year after the coaching hires was made, were made, I remember talking to Bill Parcells, who I've known for a long time, and he said, look, most of these guys I don't know. Like, he didn't know Matt LaFleur. You know, he doesn't know a lot of these newer guys. But he said, the one thing that, you know, that, that I hope owners do not forget is that being a head coach is about, about one-tenth of it is your offensive game plan. You know, you know, you've got you've got issues every week during the week. You've got things you have to solve. And it it seems to me just from the time you've been in the game, the coaches you've been around, that you sort of understand the whole program aspect of what it would take to be a head coach. I know you're focused on today, but when you get an opportunity, assuming that you will at one point, is that going to be one of your selling points that you know how a winning program is shaped, how it's molded, and that you'd be able to build one where you go? Yeah, yes, I think you hit the nail right on the on the head. You hit it right there. One thing you want to do is make sure, that, and I think it's kind of been forgotten, it's about being a leader of men. And so you want to make sure, if you're blessed and fortunate to be placed in that opportunity, that people can see how you command a room, how you approach the day-to-day business, how you command everything that's taking place within that building, how you deal with people on a day-to-day basis, how you handle each and every situation that comes up, your contingency plans, you know, all the little things that you don't plan for that happen, that happens. And I've been blessed and fortunate to 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 work with a Coach Andy Reid, not only work with him, but also play for him. And so I've seen, you know, I've had a great mentor, a great role model, you know, not only with just Coach Reed, but also with Coach Bill McCartney. And then with Brad Childers, when he was on his his highest peak when we were in, when we were in Minnesota together. So I've been blessed and fortunate to, to have an opportunity to work with great coaches who are leaders of men. Eric Bieniemy, listen. I wish you all the best uh, this uh, this season, this postseason, and whatever happens with you personally going forward. All the best to you. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. My thanks to Rich Eisen and Eric Bieniemy for some illuminating conversation this week. Much appreciated with both. Um, this is going to be a very interesting month, both in the coaching search and in some very close playoff games. I believe. It's going to be an excellent playoff season. Uh, To get you all ready for that playoff season, elsewhere at NBCSports.com, listen to the podcast where Chris Sims and Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk dissect the playoff games this weekend. I think you just might want to yell at your uh, device, your smartphone, or your, your laptop, or wherever you listen to this because they've got some very interesting opinions. And I'll be back next week with another podcast at NBCSports.com. Have a great week, everybody. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. 
That's why you rack. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.